0: I'm Toby Logsden and this is your weekly Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Lesson 1. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33, Solomon writes, The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. First of all, Let's remember that we're in the middle of a section of the text which is characterized by the repeated use of the word Yahweh, or the Lord. The fear of the Lord, or the fear of Yahweh, is the key to gaining wisdom. Solomon's already told us that it's the starting line for the marathon that training in wisdom is, and that's a theme that he's come back to repeatedly throughout the book of Proverbs. Now he's telling us that it's not just the beginning of wisdom, but fear of the Lord is also the instruction for wisdom. And we should recall that back in verse 16, Solomon told us better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. That verse is comparing what is little with what is great, or at least what appears to be great. In our verse here, however, Solomon seems to be telling us that what might at first seem small will lead to what is greater. The fear of Yahweh means recognizing how small we are in comparison to the greatness of the Lord. Thus, it involves... Humility. The question that remains is, in what sense does Yahweh Honor us? And the answer to that question is actually found in the Hebrew language that this was written in. The word that gets translated as honor here is translated 32 times as honor, but it's translated as glory 156 times, glorious 10 times, and gloriously one time. So that's obviously the predominant meaning of this word. Paul told his audience in the Roman church, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's from Romans chapter 8 verse 18. And then he went on to speak of that coming day when, quote, the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's from Romans chapter 8 verse 21. You see, because our new nature is unified with Christ, as we learned in Romans chapter 6 verse 6, his glory will be revealed within us. But first, we must humble ourselves and feel the fear of the Lord. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1, Solomon writes, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Maybe it's significant to note here that this chapter begins with the same word that began the previous chapter, Answer. Back in chapter 15, verse 1, we read, "...a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger." And while that verse emphasized the importance of answering people responsibly, this first proverb of the 16th chapter looks a little bit deeper. It considers the human heart. And of course, the human heart, the Bible tells us, is the most deceptive thing in the world. But God sees it, and he knows it perfectly. Solomon throws a curveball for us here, however, telling us that despite the wickedness of the human heart, the answer of the tongue is somehow from Yahweh, or from the Lord. How can that be? No doubt about it. Solomon knows that people will act with evil motivations and intentions, but he's telling us that God is capable of working his own purposes out through the mouths of people, nonetheless. How exactly does God work that out? Well, that's probably only something that an all-knowing and all-powerful God could understand or be able to do. Solomon definitely leaves us with an element of mystery here. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2, Solomon writes, All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. It's interesting and maybe important to note that this proverb is actually the proverb that stands at the very center of the book of Proverbs. So yes, we're halfway through the book of Proverbs at this point. I have a good friend who, on more than one occasion, has commented on how deeply he respects the way that members of cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Church of Latter-day Saints will send their members out in droves, knocking on doors, starting conversations with people, and handing out basically what boils down to be satanic literature. My friend would say something like, you know, imagine if Christians would commit themselves to evangelizing the world like those guys do. And I have to agree with him. That would be pretty awesome. And this proverb right here, chapter 16, verse 2, reflects the one thing that I always come back to, motivation. What is the motive for these cult members when they go out in droves like that? I'll say this, it's not love for their fellow neighbor, although on the surface, I understand that it sure looks like that's what they're doing. No, these cults teach their members that by going out and by knocking on doors, handing out their literature, they'll secure a higher place for themselves in heaven, or they'll guarantee their spot in heaven. And so thus, their motives are entirely self-serving. While the intentions and plans of a person might seem innocent, God doesn't only look at the deeds of a person. He's more interested in what's driving those deeds. These first two verses of chapter 16 are closely tied together, and they reveal that Yahweh can see and understand our motivations even better than we can, and thus the journey to learning wisdom lies in yielding ourselves, submitting ourselves to God's standards rather than our own. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, Solomon writes, "...commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established." Once again, the works and plans that a person might have are placed side by side. This proverb wraps up what we've learned in the first two verses of this 16th chapter, telling us that if we make Yahweh our motivation, if our purpose for doing anything is to do it for God's sake, then our plans will be established. So let all of our actions be focused on God, and by doing so, our actions will be blessed, not for our own glory but for his. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4, Solomon writes, The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. One of the points that Solomon has touched on in the verses leading up to this one is the purpose or the purposes that a person has in their own heart. Here Solomon tells us that God has a plan and a purpose for everything that he created. One of the verses of the Bible that unbelievers love to point to is Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7, where we read, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. In the King James translation, it says uh, evil rather than calamity. So is this verse, and this verse here in in, uh, in Proverbs, are these verses telling us that God created evil? Is that what Solomon's trying to tell us here? In one word, no. Evil is the thing which characterizes the wicked, right? But evil isn't a thing in and of itself. Rather, it's the absence or lack of God's righteousness. So the real question here is, under what conditions would God's righteousness be lacking? The answer to that is found in the free will of humanity. People freely choose to reject and thus not exercise God's righteousness, even though God put the moral law on the heart of every person. So while God doesn't create evil in and of itself, because he's an all-loving God who desires an authentic relationship with us, he created the condition free will that allows us to either genuinely love him, since love by definition can't be forced, or to exercise evil. This proverb reminds us that no matter what our plans or desires might be, there are no guarantees that those plans will be successful if they're not in accord with God's purposes. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, Solomon writes, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. This verse is closely connected with the previous verse, revealing that those who lack the fear of Yahweh, or lack the fear of the Lord, because they refuse to humble themselves before him, that is, the wicked, are completely offensive to God. Anytime we refuse to yield to God, it's because we think that we know better than he does, and that's simply unacceptable for an all-knowing and perfectly righteous and holy God. In the story of Uzzah in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we find a nation that's proud in heart. Here we read, quote, "Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel" 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baalah, Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. That's from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So here we see the Israelites. They're taking back the Ark of the Covenant, and they're living it up. But what we see here is is that it's a time of celebration for them, but it's not a time of worship or faithfulness. As we proceed a little further, we read, But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it, and the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah. And God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the Ark of God. That's from verses 6 and 7. You see, because the whole nation was proud in heart, nobody apparently cared enough to make sure that they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant in the way that's prescribed in that very covenant. They were supposed to have been uh, having specific men carrying it on poles, but in this case, they had it on a cart that was being pulled by oxen. And the author was careful to point out that this wasn't a case of there not being anyone strong enough to carry the ark. We're specifically told that there were 30,000 men there. And it's not because they had a lack of wood either. We're specifically told in verse three that the cart is new. So the people are celebrating in unfaithfulness letting animals do the work. Animals, which, by the way, uh, will make a bowel movement whenever they please. And you can almost picture uh, what was certainly being splattered all over the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence among them. So see, this is a recipe for disaster unfolding. And it finally happened. The oxen almost caused the Ark of the Covenant to fall to the ground. The whole gathering of people deserved God's wrath at that point, if we're being honest. And yet, only one man took God's wrath on their behalf, receiving a temporal consequence, but not an eternal punishment. Hmm, that's a biblical theme that sounds strangely familiar, isn't it? In the next verse, Proverbs 16, verse 6, Solomon writes, By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. God's loving kindness and truth are qualities that were never demonstrated more clearly than through the life and through the ministry of Jesus. It's because of God's love for the world that he sent his son Jesus so that whoever believes in Jesus wouldn't be condemned and thereby separated from God's mercy. Jesus also claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is thus seen as the embodiment of God's loving kindness and truth. Solomon reminds us that it's by these two attributes of God given to us, in addition to us, humbling ourselves and experiencing the fear of Yahweh that we're able to keep away from evil. You see, we were born from the womb of our mothers in bondage to sin and unable to prevent ourselves from sinning. But in our rebirth, when we were born again as new creations in Christ, we were given the ability to choose not to sin. And when we have the fear of Yahweh, we will exercise that ability. This concludes lesson two. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, Solomon writes, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, as we've previously noted, this section of Proverbs has repeated references to the Lord or Yahweh. Whenever we see repetition like that, it's often done for the sake of establishing a central theme or maybe a central character. And here we should see that Yahweh must be central to a person's plans and intentions. Anything outside of that defaults to what? To selfish ambition or promotion, which is wickedness in the eyes of the Lord. The previous verse told us that, quote, By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. And this verse is tied to that, demonstrating that when one keeps away from evil, his ways are pleasing to the Lord, which in turn results in peace with others. Perhaps it's for this reason that Solomon didn't follow in the footsteps of his father, David, who was a great warrior. Rather than going to war with the nations that surrounded Israel, Solomon attempted to establish peace with them, diplomatically. He forgot one step, however, keeping his ways pleasing to the Lord. And so thus, Solomon's story ends in tragedy rather than in triumph. The principle to remember here is that when your vertical relationship is straight, in other words, your relationship with God your horizontal relationship, that is, your relationships with those around you, will be straightened out as well. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8, Solomon writes, Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. And this verse should actually sound very familiar when we come across it, right? It's a repetition of a verse that we've already read, chapter 15, verse 16, although it's paraphrased a little bit rather than repeated word for word. To fully understand both verses, we have to read them in light of one another. In chapter 15, verse 16, Solomon wrote, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. But now let's look at what got replaced for uh, chapter 16, verse 8. Instead of saying, better is a little with the fear of the Lord, Solomon writes, better is a little with righteousness. And so thus we see that the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the Lord, is righteousness, Then, instead of saying, uh, then great treasure and turmoil in it, Solomon writes, then great income with injustice. It's the exact same concept. Given... Where it's positioned in the text, it's clear that the principle that Solomon wants us to see here is that following Yahweh might, but might not, bring personal gain to a person. The one guarantee is that following Yahweh will result in righteousness and justice. But which is better, to have personal gain and profit, or to have righteousness and justice? To answer that, let's remember that righteousness and justice will take us beyond this life, but personal gain and profit will not. God's ways offer a payoff that personal profit can never compare to. But more importantly, righteousness and justice will always be pleasing to Yahweh, while personal profit will not. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, Solomon writes, "...the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps." Now, it's clear that one of the central themes to this section of the book of Proverbs is not only the Lord, but also the way that the Lord, Yahweh, is involved in the plans of a person. Solomon's already told us that Yahweh weighs the drive instead of the deeds. That is, he judges our actions by what motivates them, in verse 2. He also told us that if we commit our works to the Lord, our plans will be established. That's what he told us in verse 3. In verse 1, he told us that he was referring to the plans of Of the heart belonging to man. The heart usually represents our actions in Scripture, but what drives our actions? our minds. And that's what Solomon comes back to here in verse 9. He's telling us that while our minds may plan our ways, Yahweh directs our actions. In other words, the person makes plans, and if the person is wise and is doing it for the sake of Yahweh rather than for themselves, the outcome is an amazing balance between our plans and God's purposes for us. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Here we find our ultimate purpose for those of us who are children of God to walk in the ways that God established from before the foundation of the world. How do we know what those ways are? That's what Solomon wants us to be asking here. The answer is that we know what those ways are by seeking the Lord in all that we do. This concludes lesson three. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 10, Solomon writes, A divine decision is in the lips of the king. His mouth should not err in judgment. With this verse, we're moving into a new subsection in the text. While the previous section was centered around Yahweh, this section is characterized by the repetition of the theme of kings, or earthly rulers. Through the next six verses, the term king is going to be found a total of five times. Nevertheless, we have to see this section in light of the principles centered on Yahweh's ability to judge plans and motives, and to establish things according to his purposes, principles that we gathered from the previous section. The fact that these two sections are purposefully positioned together is seen in the fact that there's overlap in the section. The Yahweh section doesn't end until the next verse, verse 11, and thus this royalty section begins before the Yahweh section ends. That's just something to be mindful of, and it's a pattern that you'll want to be able to recognize when you're reading the Bible. Now, the ruler of a country, which is what a king was in Solomon's day, has a huge responsibility before the Lord to be truthful and to be of sound judgment this is what justice is all about right and solomon tells us that justice is a quality which should be embraced by national leaders we've already seen that god is capable of speaking through the mouth of a person we saw that back in verse 1 of this 16th chapter and a national leader is no exception that's what Solomon is referring back to when he tells us that a divine decision is in the lips of the king. We should respect our national leaders, recognizing, as Paul did, that, quote, there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. That's from Romans chapter 13, verse 1. That doesn't mean that a government can't be wicked. We've already seen that God even established the wicked back in verse 4. The only times we shouldn't feel the need to yield to the governing authorities is when they require that we do something that God forbids, or when the government forbids, something that God requires. God's ways and God's laws are always the highest standard, and a wise national leader will have the fear of Yahweh and thus be submitted to his ways. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 11, Solomon writes, "...a just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern." This is the verse which concludes the section pertaining to Yahweh, but it speaks of the justice which is to be demonstrated by national leaders, which Solomon spoke of in the previous verse. The balanced scale represents perfect justice. And yet history tells us that corruption and corrupt merchants have been common throughout history. Rather than having balanced scales, it was common for a merchant to have two sets of weights, one for buying and a different one for selling. Obviously, this was incredibly Unjust because the merchant was always looking for personal profit rather than righteousness or justice. And remember, what Solomon had said back to us in verse 8 about that. So the implication of this proverb is that because all justice belongs to Yahweh, God's justice will ultimately prevail over the human intention to gain personal profit through deceptive means. In the next verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 12, Solomon writes, It is an abomination for kings to commit wicked acts, for a throne is established on righteousness. This proverb demonstrates the immense responsibility that a national leader has to demonstrate justice and righteousness in their judgments. Obviously, the act of using two sets of weights for buying and selling, as mentioned in the previous verse, is a wicked act. Here, Solomon tells us that it's an abomination for a national leader to use wicked acts in their judgment or as a means to gaining personal profit. Because perfect justice belongs to Yahweh, anything other than that is offensive to him. Why would anyone settle for a way that's contrary to his? Solomon's implication here is that the national leader who hates crookedness and who hates wickedness but embraces God's perfect justice will have their position or their throne established. A government which isn't founded on righteousness and justice but is instead founded on corruption and evil judgments is a government which stands contrary to God's nature and will ultimately fall. I'm Toby Logsdon and this has been your weekly Fix of Wisdom. On bible dot org. Keep growing closer